Hello, it's Rick Heisman, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Well, a lot of baseball fans, no doubt, remember the name Pat Borders. He was World Series MVP in 1992 for the Toronto Blue Jays and later caught for the Kansas City Royals. Pat Borders, who I remember having those huge forearms. And then the guy they got for Pat Borders, I remember him being super competitive and making that glove pop. His name was Rick Heisman. And yeah, they got him in exchange for Borders when the Royals sent him down to the Houston Astros during the 1995 season. Heisman would then be up and down between Omaha and KC. In that bullpen during 1995 and 1996, big-time competitor, averaged over a strikeout per inning in the minor leagues, nearly that in the major leagues. And Rick Heisman joins us right now on Clubhouse Conversation. Rick, how's it going, man? Dave, how are you, man? I'm doing good. It's an honor to talk to you all these years later. Oh, my gosh. No, thank you so much for looking me up and and wanting to hear my story. I I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, man, I think... uh, a lot of great memories there in Kansas City. A lot of great memories of playing professional baseball. And uh, so now, especially after getting your email to see your questions, it, it for sure started uh, sprouting some uh, some cool memories. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like to give you kind of a heads up sometimes some of the things I might ask. So you're probably like, wow, this guy's got no life. He's just researching all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's good. You'd, uh, you're very good at what, at, your, at what you do, so that's a good thing. Yeah, so everything's going good up there in Grand Rapids? Everything is good, man. Yeah, I can't complain. I'm just uh, um, I'm living the life, you know. I mean, of course, as the executive director of the Boys and Girls Clubs here in Grand Rapids. And then, um, you know, my wife and I have been married now for uh, 19 years. I have three kids, and my oldest boy is a freshman in high school. My middle boy is uh, um, in fifth grade, and my daughter's in third grade. So we keep quite busy around here. Wow. Well, you mentioned your wife. Mike Sweeney told me a cool story that – him and Shara, their very first date was a double date with you on the plaza at Houston's. Do you remember that? We sure do. Yeah, matter of fact, my wife and I were just talking about that not too long ago. I mean, you know, Mike and I exchange Christmas cards every year, and seeing his family grow is pretty special. And, of course, uh, you know, he's one of the, um, you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest players to, uh, you know, wear a Kansas City Royal uniform. I think he's uh, he's definitely up to, at the top, so... Yeah, you know, Mike and I um, also made our major league debut together. So we have a lot of, of um, yeah, what can I say? We have a lot of things in common. And but that was a very special evening for him and Shara. And, um, you know, to be uh, to say that we went on the, our first dates together, that was pretty cool. How did that happen, by the way? Did you, did you ask him out, or how, I mean, who? How did that get set up? You know what? I know that we were in the um, we we're in the bullpen talking one day. You know, I mean, he was just down there. I think he was going to catch a little bit, and then. Um, you know, we started talking, but um, one thing led to another, and I know my wife, I think, was sitting with Char in the stands type of thing, and uh, um, I, I, to be honest, I don't know exactly how that all started other than, you know, the, the two girls were talking and Mike and I were talking, and we, I said, well, let's just go to dinner or something, man, you know? So we just kind of put it together, and, and the rest is history. Rick Heisman, the matchmaker, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. I don't know about that, but no, we had a good night. Yeah, come back here and be my wingman someday. I'm still working on some of that magic the Sween Dog and you have. So, 
<laughs> That's right. No, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so let's talk about your uh, your position now then. Like you said, director of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Grand Rapids Youth Commonwealth. And you, from what I understand, indirectly discovered you had a passion for that way back when you were here in Kansas City from doing charities in the off season. Is that how it happened? You know what? It was a situation where, um, you know, we visited the Boys and Girls Clubs in Kansas City, um, you know, during that, uh, like, the Royals Caravan. Uh-huh. And uh, so Biff Roberts, uh, who I believe was a uh, Boys and Girls Club kid in San Diego, I mean, he's like, guys, you got to go. And so we checked it out. And, um, you know, to be quite honest, I didn't have a ton of engagement with the kids that day, but I do remember, um, you know, quite vividly speaking with some of the staff members and just hearing some of the stories that were happening on a daily basis there and where some of these kids might be if it wasn't for the Boys and Girls Club was uh, impacting me pretty well there. And when I moved back, uh, you know, back home, I started volunteering at my local Boys and Girls Clubs here in, in Holland, Michigan. And, um, yeah, what can I say? I, I was I was volunteering for about six or seven years, still working for a family business, uh, and then a board member asked me to coffee and thought that I would make a good fit for the executive director position, which was open. And my wife and I took a little weekend away and, you know, had some thoughts and prayed about a lot. It just truly felt like God was opening this door for us at this time of our life. And um, so now I've been the executive director uh, for two years, and it has been uh, an amazing ride, that's for sure. Probably as rewarding as anything you've ever done, I'm assuming, working with kids like that every day and just giving back. What, what do you like best about your job? You know, I love my job because truly it, uh, you know, I believe the Boys and Girls Club creates opportunities for success to kids that otherwise may not have much of an opportunity to, uh, um, you know, to do a whole lot. Let's face it. I mean, about 80% of our kids live below the poverty line. And, um, you know, when they're coming to us, to, you know, to make themselves better. Um, we have everything from homework assistance to a music program. Of course, we have sports and recreation programs, but, you know, ultimately um, we're seeing about 350 kids per day wow. and uh, with three locations providing a hot meal every night to them. And, uh, you know, we, we like to think we're just a, a large extension of their family. And uh, uh, it's some pretty great things are happening, man. And, uh, like you said, you know, I'm very, very proud of this position. Um, you know, I get a chance to meet some great individuals every day as well because the only way we can do what we do is through the support of uh, local foundations, um, individual support, of course, and corporate support. So um, it takes quite a bit to do what we do, and there's a lot of people involved, and um, I'm very proud of my community as well. Well, speaking of kids, let's go back to when you were one. So you went to Timothy Christian High School in Elmhurst, Illinois. Then you uh, became a Division II All-American at Lewis University in Illinois. You led the nation in strikeouts. And then the San Francisco Giants called, took you in the third round of the draft in 90. So when you look back 24 years later, what do you remember about draft day? You know what, man? Part of me feels like that was just a couple of years ago, and part of me <laughs> feels like that was just a dream. You know, I mean... To think back that day, and I really remember that day pretty vividly because, you know, this is back before the Internet where you could check things out. This is back before, you know, ESPN offered 12 channels. It was, you know, you basically get a phone call from your scout telling us that uh, you were drafted, and that's basically how it worked. So I knew the draft was happening that day, and I just kind of wanted to take my mind off of it. And I'll never forget, uh, I just decided I was going to work in the yard, and so I just got my, I was living at my parents' house and cut the grass and work in the yard and was doing a bunch of stuff around the house, and I 
you know, I mean, of course, I kept this window open because you so that way you could hear the phone ring, just right. in case that phone did ring. I wanted to make sure I could hear it, and no, no, it never rang. And then, oh shoot, it was probably about three, four, about four o'clock in the afternoon. It rang, and here it was, uh, my college teammate Ernie Young, who was a tenth round selection for the Oakland A's. So of course, I congratulated him as a good teammate would. But as soon as I got off the phone, I was upset at the fact that I did not go, you know, in the draft yet. Like, oh my gosh, they've had ten rounds already, and um, they haven't selected me yet. So that was my first thought. Well, finally, at about 10 p.m. that night, my scout called me to tell me I was selected in the third round by the San Francisco Giants. He apologized for not calling me earlier, but he had a family member who was in the hospital, so he wasn't home all day. So that is my story of draft day. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So you thought you got snubbed, and really you should have been thrilled the whole time, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, anytime you can go in those top five rounds, I mean, I think it's, a, well, just to be drafted, let's face it, is a pretty special thing. But, uh, you know, you, you kind of hear some things before the draft and where things could possibly go. And um, But, yeah, so I, I was satisfied with the third round, and, uh um, although the San Francisco Giants weren't even on my radar, uh, it was a pretty special time to uh, to sign with them. You mentioned Ernie Young. He's also a former Royal. So you and him played together. You're pretty close growing up and everything through college? Oh, yeah. Ernie and, Ernie and I were uh, very, very close friends and uh, still are. As a matter of fact, he recently was the manager for the West Michigan Whitecaps here in, uh, in Grand Rapids. And so he was the Whitecaps manager there for a couple of years. And um, you know, I'd take my boys out to the field, and I threw batting practice to his A-ball team. And uh, while my boys were in the outfield shagging fly balls, and uh, um, Ernie's a, a great a great guy who uh, played the game uh, at his maximum ability for, what, 18, 19 years, and uh, I give him all the credit in the world. Good man. And I'm probably the only person that remembers him as a royal, right? That's <laughs> right. Well, and I'll give him crap, too, because he's only played for about 16 teams. So, you know, the Royals are one of them. Yeah, right, for a cup of coffee. So, all right, so I recently read the best baseball book I ever have, and I'm going to make you read this, man. you got to read this. It's called Class A Baseball in the Middle of Everywhere. It's by a guy named uh, Lucas Mann. So he spent a season with the Clinton Lumber Kings a couple years ago. And so I see you pitched there in 1990. You had 34 and two-thirds scoreless innings in a row, which seems like a like a, you know, a dream as well, but um, I'm pretty fascinated about Clinton. Then. So I read the book, and he kind of described Clinton as a rundown town and kind of a depressed town and, you know, small crowds and an old park. So what, what, what do you think about Clinton when you think back to it? Was that how it was back then, or was it more thriving back in, like, 90, 90 to 91 area? No, you know, I mean, I think that I would describe it very similar to that, but to be quite honest with you, I don't really remember the town as well, but what I do remember about it is the cohesiveness of the team and the guys. And I think about half of us all lived in the same apartment complex. So it was like after the game was over, of course, you'd be around the clubhouse for a while doing what you need to do, and then you'd just head back to the apartments. And, um, you know, guys would just hang out and play cards and, you know, and just talk about the game itself or talk about whatever, you know. But uh, that's what I remember most. And, you know, I mean, I think that, uh, of course, it was my first year. I mean, shoot, I had just signed, you know, that uh, that June, and I think I went to Everett, Washington for about 10 days or so because that's where they took all of the, um, you know, the new drafts. But I think I pitched one game there and then flew to Clinton to be a part of the Clinton Giants. And uh, so I was, 
I, that's what I remember most about Clinton is just uh, what a great group of guys I had the opportunity to play with and how we were just all together just about every night because, uh, you know, of, of the living you know, situation like it was. So from 91 to 93, well, the majority of 93, uh, you were with the San Francisco Giants, like you said, and then you moved as far as AAA Phoenix. Before they put you on waivers, you got picked up by Houston. So what do you call about the process of going on waivers, and what was it like saying goodbye to the first organization you knew? You know, I would say 1993 was probably one of the tougher years of my life because uh, at that early stage, I mean, you know, um, going through an arm surgery after the 92 season, um, you know, I didn't know what my future looked like, you know, and um, I, you know, 1990, 91, 92, I had uh, some pretty darn good seasons there, but uh, that really held me back a lot, and I really didn't get my fastball back for a good 18 months. So that 93 season, yes, I was on the 40-man roster, but, uh, you know, that's the year that uh, the Giants were, you know, going to race for the pennant, and, uh um, when they took me off waivers to take, uh, they took Solomon Torres up to the big leagues then because he was not on the 40 man roster mm-hmm. at that time. So they brought him up. So they had they needed room on the 40 man, and they thought that, uh, you know, because of my injury, I wouldn't, uh, you know, no one would pick me up. But the Houston Astros came up and uh, and they took me in in that, um, you know, off of waivers. And so yeah, to, so to say goodbye to the San Francisco Giants is definitely tough. I think any player would probably say the same thing from the team that originally drafted you because they're the team that gave you a shot, man. You know, they're the team that put you out there and and uh, gave you an opportunity to play, you know, professional baseball. So for that, I was sad. But just like anything else, you know, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And I, and uh, for me to go to the Houston Astros at that point in my career was. Uh, um, you know, was was where I needed to be, I guess. But uh, um, yeah, I still think the San Francisco Giants organization is a great organization, and, and I think they do it right. Let's just say that. What uh, what arm surgery did you have? I wasn't even aware you had that arm surgery after '92. Yeah, I did. It was in October of 1992 when um, I had my rotator cuff. Uh, I had my biceps tendon was really bad, and uh, my labrum. Um, they had mm. to tack my labrum up into place. You know. And that's another thing, too. I mean, if you got another minute to talk about that. Oh, it, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, nowadays you see all these pitchers that uh, they're regulating innings and so forth. You know, when I was a junior in college, I threw about 120 innings at, uh, at Lewis and then went on to pitch another 80 or so at Clinton. Uh, so, I mean, I pitched 200 innings as, uh, um, you know, basically as a 21, 22-year-old. And then the next year, another 200 innings in A-ball. Um, and then I started to get a little sore towards the end of the 92 season, which I would have, I was on the 200, uh, inning track to, again, you know, so, um, you know, just as, of course, I think, you know, you look back on it now and you wish maybe they could have regulated guys a little bit differently, but, uh, you know, of course, uh, again, that's also, you know, 24 years ago and, and there's been a lot that has been done since then to watch pitchers and, you know, do the things necessary to keep them away from injury as much. But, uh, yeah, I look back on that a little bit and think, you know, maybe what could have been. Um, but, hey, doggone it, we all know that uh, injury is part of uh, part of professional sports. And it was just, that, that was a tough time in my life, though. Well, and I guess it makes sense now when I look back. I looked at your numbers, and I'm like, why did why was he not a starter after that? Because your numbers were so good. So you, you weren't really a failed starter. You were just injured, and you needed less innings, basically, at that point. Is that pretty fair? That's pretty fair assessment. I mean, when I came back, I will tell you that, um, you know, I mean, it, it didn't hurt. You know, like, 
let's say about eight months after the surgery, it didn't hurt, but I just didn't have enough strength there. It wasn't a lot of power there. So, um, you know, I started as I, when I came back from the injury, I, I was a starter, but, um, but then when I came back to spring training in 1994, uh, I'll never forget it. I came in just the last couple innings and struck out all six hitters I faced. And then from that point on, I think the Astros organization basically said, you know, that's interesting. Let's maybe see what he can do as a late inning guy. So I felt fine with coming in um, for one inning and give it everything I had. And then my fastball was 92, 93 again. You know, but as a starter, uh, by about the fourth or fifth inning, that would be 86, 87, and, but it wasn't hurting. It's just the strength wasn't quite there. So that was pretty much the biggest reason why they decided to put me in the bullpen. Yeah, let's remind fans listening right now, what did you throw? What, were you, what was your repertoire? Where did you sit, and where did you top out at with your fastball when you were healthy? Yeah, when I was um, when then things were going great, I mean, I was 90 to 94 for the most part uh, with my fastball. And uh, my slider, yeah, right around, I don't know, 78 to 80. And, you know, what kept me around in the game for a while actually was my split finger fastball pitch. You know, that was something that, um, you know, I developed early on in my career. And I always said, and I think other people would say the same thing to you too, David, it's about, you know, having that one thing that separates you from everybody else. And uh, for me, it was the split finger fastball. I mean, a lot of guys throw 90, you know, I mean, you see that. I mean, nowadays, doggone it. I mean, look at your Ventura kid throwing 96 yeah. plus every pitch, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, back in my day, I mean, it was, you know, 90 to 95. If you were throwing 95, you were absolutely bringing it, you know. So, um, um, but for me, yeah, 90 to 94, decent slider, decent splitty, but uh, I felt pretty good about throwing strikes and, um Yes, you know, people would say I was quite competitive too. Maybe sometimes too competitive. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. I remember the fire. Uh, so you, you mentioned Ventura. That's actually a good thing to ask you about. So you were talking about kind of arm injuries and and stuff. So you know, some people say I've read half the scouts and you know executives say his 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 delivery is so fluid he's not going to break down most likely. And then some say he's not that big. He's you know he's you know, soaking wet, maybe 180. He's not that big of a kid. This could be a concern. He could throw his arm out. What's your thoughts on not just him, but somebody like that with that build throwing that hard? Is it, is, it, is injury more prone for them, or does it not really matter? Is it all mechanics? You know what? I, I wish I knew the answer to that question, because that is a fantastic question. I, I think that all of us are just built differently. Um, but, you know, to be quite honest with you, I think that, you know, over time, the uh, the ability to throw hard definitely goes down because obviously then your arm speed doesn't you know isn't quite the same and and is is that because of the repetitious motion of throwing and throwing and throwing and you know innings um, I don't really know you know I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there way smarter than me trying to figure out that same <laughs> thing but uh, you know what ultimately. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you, you definitely got to look at uh, pitch counts, and I think you definitely need to, you know, watch um, how many innings pitched in a season. Uh, for me, I think those are, those are pretty two crucial points of interest that uh, uh, people should take, uh, especially with the young pitchers nowadays, uh, should definitely take a little bit more interest in. So you spent the whole 1994 season at Class AA Jackson, and these numbers were eye-popping to me. 1.61 ERA, 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings. So by then, you know, the end of 94, obviously there was a strike, which kind of hurt. But, I mean, were you was, was a call-up to the big leagues possible that year without the strike? I would have thought so, right, with those numbers? 
Yeah, 100%. I'll never forget the conversation sitting down in the bullpen uh, during batting practice with our uh, – uh, our roving pitching instructor came down, and so we're sitting out there, and I, you know, this is kind of like that uh, end of July time frame when, you know, shoot, you only have about another month or so left of the minor league season, and you know, guys kind of want to know, you know, what 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 do they need to approve upon for next year even? And um, but at that time, he told me, he goes, Rick, hey, listen, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing some fantastic th- things this year. Your first year as a as a closer. Um, we have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of high hopes for you. And uh, listen, as long as there's because as long as there's not a strike this year, uh, you're going to get an opportunity. So you just keep doing what you're doing. And of course, the strike hits. So then I don't get to the big leagues in '94. Yeah. So that was those was some tough times, too. What What did you do over that off season? Because you did you when did you come to camp in '95? You know what? In the off season in '94, actually, I did go to. Um, Winter ball. So I ended up, uh, I was a closer in Venezuela for uh, the Magallanes um, team. And uh, some great, great times. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the baseball out there is fantastic. You have 35,000 screaming fans at every game. It was some uh, amazing times, that's for sure. And um, so then, um, you know, when the strike finally was done in 95, you know, for the 95 season, my story there is I was brought to um, at the, at, we had two games in in spring training and um, we left camp. I was with the Houston Astros in big league camp and we left camp with uh, if you remember that was the year that they could expand their rosters to um, I believe it was 28 players. That's right. Um, rather than the 25 players, so they were going to keep two extra pitchers and then an extra player for the bench. The Astros were. So I fly in, so I, I leave with the team. I break. So there's 30 of us who go to the ballpark in Arlington to face the Texas Rangers. And um, so we faced the Rangers, and John Hudek was the closer for the Astros at the time. And mm-hmm. he, he came in the game in the ninth and got into a little trouble, so the telephone rings, and it's good Heisman up. So I started getting heated up. And uh, while Hudek gets out of the situation, so after the game we kind of jogged to the to – the, uh, um, to the dugout through the field. It's kind of a cool rainy night, so I've got some mud in my shoes, so I start stomping off mud out of my shoes at the top of the dugout, and the idiot that I am fell into the dugout and turned my right ankle. Oh, no. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> so my ankle balloons up. I am not happy, to say the least. And so the next day, we're in the Houston Astrodome, playing against the uh, against the Rangers, and I'm in the outfield, and Mel Stoudemire, our pitching coach, comes up to me and says, well, what do you think, big boy? Can you pitch or what? And I said, Mel, I said, if, may, if pitching an inning means making this team or not, I can pitch. So Mike Hampton goes the first five innings, and I go in the sixth, and um, I gave up a hit, but I, Will Clark uh, grounds into a double play, and I had to cover first on the play, <laughs> of course. if you remember. It was a 3-6-1 double play, and Jeff Bagwell was my first baseman. So after the game, I'm thinking I'm flying I'm flying to um, San Francisco to play the ESPN game that night and uh, got all my stuff packed, and sure enough, Matt Galante comes and taps me on the shoulder and said, Hey, hi, uh, Skip needs to see in the office. Well, Terry Collins is our manager, and he tells me, Hi, this is the first time I'm not leaving camp with my best. I've got to leave with my healthiest. 
so I get sent to Tucson um, because of that doggone ankle. Ugh. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm sure, like I said, there's a ton of stories out there many people can tell. Unfortunately, I've got a couple crappy Ugh. ones. <laughs> Gosh, I, didn't, I never knew that. That's, that's awful, man. I know. Yeah, that was a tough one. But uh, So then um, I went to Tucson and basically uh, had about a 7 ERA in the first month. And then, uh, but then started really pitching well. And then, like you said, you know, I mean, uh, when 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 the um, Astros needs a catcher, and um, you know, the Royals uh, sent Pat Borders to the Astros, and then I was the player to be named later, and went over for Pat Borders. How shocking was that? And, and what was your initial reaction to being traded to the Royals? Crazy, you know. You just don't ever see those things really coming. I don't think. And when they uh, first told me I was going to the Royals, I'm like, the Royals? I mean, I, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it's like I never played against the Royals. I didn't know anybody on the Royals. I mean, you know, I, I was just, like, shocked, you know. But uh, but when I was told that I may have a good opportunity to get to the major leagues, um, then, of course, you're excited because that's what every minor league player wants is the opportunity to play at the big league level. So, um, packed up my stuff and went out to uh, Omaha and where Mike Churchley was our manager. I heard that he has a, a big league job now this year, he which does. I'm so happy, Finally. so happy for him. Yeah. yeah, I know, man. Long time coming. So happy for him and his family to get that chance too. So, um, so yeah, and again, just in the right place at the right time. I'll never forget. I think George Brett was in the fan scouting our, our the, the Omaha team. And um, I came in a game and for the ninth inning and struck out the side, had a day off, came in again the next night, struck out the side, had a day off, the next night gave up a leadoff home run and struck out the side. So I think I had like nine strikeouts, gave up one run, and George Brett was in the stands for, all of the, for every game. And um, next thing I knew, I was getting called up to the big leagues. Did you get any, any, any cool stories how Jersh told you when you got called up? Yeah, you know what? We I'll never forget that too. It was a Wednesday businessman special in Omaha. If you remember those, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think there were noon games, and uh, Doug Linton pitched that game, and I think he either went eight or nine. And um, I was new to the team, so I was still living in a hotel, and most of the guys were going out to grab something to eat. So, um, and so we all met at this place to go grab something to eat, and Doug Linton was late getting there because he had to ice down after the game, and. So he walks into the restaurant and says, hey, hi, and he hands me a piece of paper, and he goes, you need to call Jersh. And by the way, congratulations. And I'm like, Doug, why, what, what are you doing to me? I don't even know you that well. You know, I mean, why are you playing with me like that? And he goes, he starts laughing. He goes, no, I'm serious. Call Jersh. And I'm like, are you dead serious? And he goes, call him. Well, this is, again, before cell phones, so I had to go out and get on the pay phone, you know, um, Walking into the to the restaurant, there was a payphone there, so I called Jersh and I said, "Jersh, this is Heis. and he goes, uh, "Congratulations, you're leaving tomorrow. Come get your stuff." <laughs> <laughs> so I I always said, "Okay." Well, I go back in the restaurant, and of course, I'm with a bunch of pitchers in the bullpen, you know. So I feel like I can't be all excited, you know, because that would be disrespectful to them, and because that's what we all want is that call and. My good friend Jamie Bluma was sitting right there as well, and I said, uh, yeah, it's true, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. And uh, so I sat there for a little bit, and finally Bluma looks at me and goes, dude, what are you doing here? Go call some people. Go get your stuff. 
so it really took Jamie Bloomer to yell at me to go do those things for me to do them. And, of course, my next phone call was to my dad, and uh, that was a pretty special phone call. So uh, so that's what I remember about that big day. It was a very, very special day, just as it is to a lot of guys who get that call finally. So your big league debut came at Kauffman Stadium, the only time that year that you'd pitch at the K in 95, and you uh, threw the first game of a doubleheader. Mike Sweeney made his debut, as we talked about earlier, the same exact time that you did. You guys were battery mates against Toronto, and you threw two innings, a three-strikeout, one-run ball. I guess Olerud took you deep, right? But what else sticks out about that first game? First of all, that ball was foul, Dave. I <laughs> promise you it was foul. It was going foul. I have no idea how they called that dog on St. Fair, but... In the books, it's a fair ball, I guess. So um, what do I recall about that day? I'll recall that when that phone rang, when I was down in the bullpen and they told me to get up for the first time, your heart just races at about 1,000 miles an hour. And I think my first warm-up pitch was about 89. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I got ready and jogged in, and I just had to tell myself that it's still 60 feet 6 inches. The game is still the same game I played when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, what can I say? Just uh, throw strikes and, and give your team an opportunity to win this game. And so I came in and, um, um, yeah, what can I say? I went one, two, well, no. So I gave up some pretty big firsts in that game, as a matter of fact. The first major league hit I gave up was to Paul Molitor, who about took my head off. <laughs> he was four for four in the game, and I just let him go five for five. Um and then my first strikeout was Joe Carter, and then the first home run I gave up to in the big leagues was to John Olerud. So, uh, uh, but very, very special to have Mike Sweeney behind the plate. Like I said to you before, I still consider him one of the best to wear the uniform, and um, and he's even a better guy. So, uh, so yeah, it was cool to have him back there too. Did you see that talent in him early on? Because Sweeney wasn't really a super highly regarded prospect till later. Could you tell right away that he'd be something special? To be quite honest with you, I think everybody knew he could hit. Um, I don't think he knew that he could hit at the level that he ended up hitting at, but we all knew that he could hit. It was his receiving qualities, I think, that people always questioned. But to be quite honest with you, I loved throwing to Mike Sweeney. Um, he and I just seemed to always be on the same page. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I may have shook him off once or twice, maybe every time I've ever thrown to him. So, um, so for that matter, I just thought he was always pretty darn good behind the plate. But, uh, you know, I, I guess who can expect uh, you know anyone to have the type of career that he had? It's because uh, it was definitely pretty special. No doubt. So you finished that '95 season with seven appearances, and you probably had to feel pretty good heading into the off season towards '96. What did the Royals tell you at the end of that year? And then how did you feel with your first September in the big leagues under your belt? You know what? I felt pretty good about it. I think that um, I wasn't real happy with Hippolito Pichardo because he gave up a lot of my runs. <laughs> but other than that, you know, it was it was a good time there. Um, and then going into 96, I really thought that I have a good chance of making that club out of spring training until I uh, pulled my groin and um, in the game. And, yeah, um, what can I say? Again, you know, you have to just – Stay injury-free to give yourself an opportunity. And, unfortunately, I, I pulled a groin in spring training, kind of set me back a little bit, went to Omaha, pitched uh, pitched decent. I don't think I pitched great, but I'd, uh, I think I pitched decent and then just kind of got hot at the right time when Kansas City needed a little help, and they looked to me again. And I was very thankful that they gave me another opportunity to uh, to get there. 
Yeah, you started off with a bang, three scoreless innings against Cleveland. You had your first and only big league save at Seattle, a 2.16 ERA, your first 11 games. What were your thoughts uh, on your second season in KC? You know, I felt settled in. Does that make sense? I mean, mm-hmm. I felt like I belonged, I guess, a little bit more. You know, the first time you get up there, it's like, eh, you know, I mean, you're just trying to feel your way. But I think when I call, it got called up, um, you know, that year, I felt more like I, that's where I belonged and that's where I needed to pitch. And um, I felt like uh, I had some pretty good success early. I had a couple of crappy games and, you know, in the middle there that probably boosted my numbers a little bit. But uh, for the most part, I felt like, uh, um, you know, I, I had given everything that I had and, um, I was ready to compete again in 1997. So um, I enjoyed every moment that I that I had, you know, playing at the Kansas City Royal. And what can I say? One of the greatest ballparks in in the entire country, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Now, how about working with Bob Boone and Bruce Keeson? How was that? You know, Bob Boone was a good man. Both and Bruce Keeson was just kind of like that dry humor, but very knowledgeable of the game. Um, you know, Bob, I think. Uh, um, you know, obviously you, you can't help but respect everything that that man has done in the game of baseball. But, um, you know, and he kind of treated me kind of like I was his kid, you know. So that was that was a great thing. I thought Booney um, was, uh, you know, was somebody who I could count on and I think somebody who would have my back. Um, you know, and that's why I think, you know, in 97, part of the reason why I didn't get back to the Royals was, you know, when Booney got fired and you brought in a, a, a I believe I – can't remember was it Tony Muser yep, maybe yep, after yep. Bob Boone, mm-hmm. so uh, you know that, that was unfortunate for I think um, you know in a lot of different ways. But uh, uh, I, I always thought Bob Boone was a great baseball guy and loved loved pitching for Bruce Keeson as well. How'd you like uh, old Baseball City? I actually never made it to Baseball City, unfortunately. How was that like towards the end there? Because you were there towards the latter years, I guess, or maybe maybe the middle years, I guess. Yeah, no. As a matter of fact. Um, you know, I mean, I always enjoyed it. Of course, that's that's what I knew. You know, I mean, playing in the big leagues, shoot, I didn't care where we were playing. You know, as long as I'm in the big leagues, and to have that type of stadium and to uh, have that type of history there, I thought that was pretty cool. But um, for the last twelve, well, this is my thirteenth year. I've also been a pitching coach at Hope College here in Holland, Michigan. So um, my best friend is the head baseball coach there. So being the pitching coach there. We've been traveling down to the Orlando area for um, for baseball for our kids to um, get a chance to play down there. And would you know it, we, we, we stay probably four miles from that spot. And I tell the guys every year, I'm like, yeah, let's go stand on home plate uh, at Baseball City because it's right about here, you know, so <laughs> – pretty amazing uh the transformation of that corner now is that like a like a mall or something now or a apartments or something i can't remember what it's something else now right yeah it's a big strip mall actually there's a dick sporting goods there now and uh there's a um a cc's pizza we'll eat pizza there so i yeah i can basically <laughs> see home plate from cc's pizza <laughs> that's got to be kind of bittersweet right good memories and <laughs> you think back to that right yeah no doubt uh, how about Omaha? So rest in peace, Rosenblatt Stadium. I, I grew up going to games there. Any favorite memories of the old blue and orange and yellow and you know red chairs there at Rosenblatt? I do remember the ball liked to jump out of there pretty good. So as a pitcher, I never really liked pitching there very much. But, I mean, shoot, how can you beat the history there? Um, you know, just for Rosenblatt Stadium, what it really stood for. I mean, yes, it, for a few weeks it was kind of rough on us as players to be on the road during <laughs> the uh, – you know, while uh, you know, Division One college baseball is there, but you know what? I I never complained because it was it was 
that's what it was all about, you know. I mean, uh, again, you know, just like what I do now, creating opportunities for success for kids, and, you know, that, that's that's what it was then, too. It's just uh, um, some pretty special memories that a lot of people around the country will always have about Rosenblatt Stadium. I've got actually a couple of the yellow chairs from Rosenblatt in this room right now as I talk to you. So. <laughs> It's staying alive, man. So after that 97 season, was that kind of just a mutual parting with the Royals? Yeah, it pretty much was. You know, I mean, at the end of that year, 97, obviously at the big league level, you had different coaches, and, uh, um, you know, they didn't offer me a contract to come back in 98. So in 98, I did uh, receive a contract from the San Francisco Giants to, to go back with the Giants. And uh, um, so I spent the 98 season in Fresno, um, and then, um, and, and pitched well, you know, not, not, nothing great. And then, uh, in 2000 and 2001 with the Astros down in, uh, in New Orleans, it was, uh, uh, or actually in 99 and 2000 with New Orleans. And again, I felt like I pitched as good as I could pitch and was as consistent as I could be and, uh, never got another opportunity there. Um, and then finally in 2001, I signed a big league contract or actually with Baltimore Orioles, went to big league camp with them, but, that year I knew that um, what I wanted to put in my contract was if I wasn't in the big leagues by a certain time, I could get out of it and see kind of what else was out there. And I did that, signed with St. Louis Cardinals, didn't pitch that well, and finally ended in the Mexican League for the Monterey Sultanis, which was a, uh, a great experience, but uh, um, wasn't expecting to go to, to, to that place, you know, at that point in my career. But a lot of soul-searching happened. Um, you know, I gave 12 incredible years to the game. And, um, you know what, for me, I always said that if my best was not good enough to play at the major league level, I would know, and I would know that that would be, it would be time. Um, and sure enough, you know, my wife became pregnant with baby number two and we had some decisions to make. So, um, we felt that, um, it was time to turn the page and, and move forward. So when you look back, uh, what are your favorite memories of Kansas city then both on and off the field here? No, great question. You know, on the field, like I mentioned before, I think that um, there's a special gem there at Kauffman Stadium. It's one of the most gorgeous parks um, in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, another special memory I had was coming out after the game, um, and I remember our car was parked, like, in this big kind of fenced-in somewhat area, and I just remember standing out there for an hour or so after a game and just signing autographs because there were people there and they wanted my autograph. And I thought that was kind of cool. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I thank them for coming out to the games. And, um, you know, because if there weren't any fans, there wouldn't be any players. You know, I always feel that way. And so for them to come out and want my autograph as I'm standing out there, I try to give everybody the time of day to be able to do those things. So, so those are some of the cool memories, I would say. Um, of course, the guys, I mean, shoot, I think any baseball player will tell you that they missed the camaraderie with the guys in the clubhouse. You had some pretty cool talent on those teams, man, you know, with uh, Mark Gubiza, um, tremendous guy, and one guy that truly took me under his wing while I was there, who I'll never forget, was Tim Belcher, um, and who can forget Jeff Montgomery. I mean, what a man. Um, I mean, I went to uh, Kevin Apier's wedding, so, uh, you know, these are guys that, uh, you know, uh, at that time in life, you know, those are your brothers and those you go to battle with every day. So for me, those are some pretty special memories that I will always have and be able to share with my kids and my grandkids you one day. You mentioned the uh, the autographs. You actually 
when I was about 14 or I probably I was probably 15. You signed a baseball card for me. I still have it. It's that one with you in like high school, like the draft, the Bowman draft card or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, dude. I still got that up, up in my sports room. So. Oh, that's awesome, Dave. Thanks for mentioning that. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So, have you ever been back to Kansas City since since uh, since you played here? You know what? Interesting you said that because I have not yet been back, but I will tell you that uh, I'm planning a trip this summer with my boys. Um, we're going to play. My one son plays 15U travel baseball, of course, during the summer. So we're pretty busy up until about the end of July. But we usually try to keep uh, August open to be able to do some things with the family. So uh, I know the Royals are in town like that second week of August, so there's a good chance that I'll be uh, at Kauffman Stadium sometime during that, that time frame this summer. Oh, and you'll love the park even more now. I'm sure you've heard all about the improvements and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll be able to show the kids where, um, let's see, uh, what was the dude's name from uh, Toronto Blue Jays back in the day? Uh, Carlos Delgado took me into <laughs> the uh, – into the waterfall, so I'll be able to show my kids that for sure. <laughs> hey, that, that takes a good pitch, though, to be able to make that happen, right? I mean, it takes a certain kind of pitcher to be able to get that result, right? you got to give, give yourself some credit for that one. Absolutely. No, I remember Chris <laughs> Berman that night. I was in my hotel room, too, and he goes, Carlos Del got him. So, uh, yeah, he got me pretty good. <laughs> That's great. So you still follow the Royals, obviously, because you mentioned your Donna Ventura, which is impressive. How much do you get to see him and, and read about him and, and so forth? You know what is the only reason why I get DirecTV so I can get the baseball package and still watch the Royals here and there. Of course, I'm a diehard Cubs fan, so uh, I do watch the Cubs when I get a chance. You know, here in Michigan, everybody's a Tiger fan. So uh, I like the Tigers, but, you know, um, I'm only like them because all my friends really like them, so I kind of have to like them a little bit. But, uh, but no, I, I do follow the game and uh, still love it. I mean, Every night I find myself watching an inning or two of something, you know. I mean, usually I don't get a chance to do that till about 10 o'clock every night, but uh, it's a good time, and I enjoy that still. What do you think? Can the Royals uh, finally overtake the Tigers and get back for the playoffs for the first time in 29 years? Can the suffering fans finally get something good happening to them? You know what? For all the Royals fans out there, um, I sure hope and pray that that happens for you guys. Um, you know, I... Uh, Although I got to tell you, I think it's going to be hard to beat the Tigers. I think that, you know, I mean, with that pitching staff that they have and everything, um, you know, still with the best hitter in the planet, you know, on their team, uh, I think that this is going to be a hard team to beat. But uh, I love your young talents. Um, I love the organization. And, of course, you know, I always wish the best for the Royals. This is kind of a loaded question, but I always wonder for guys that kind of bounce around. Do you have? Do you consider yourself like a member of one team? Is there like one person, one team that you consider yourself of more than another, or do you kind of just have equal love for all of them? You know what? To be quite honest, I mean, with the Royals have giving me my major league opportunity, of course, my heart is there. Um, the San Francisco Giants, you know, early on and, and playing with them. I mean, shoot, I I, I I I still watch the Giants because of that. You know, I spent probably most of my career, actually, with the Houston Astros. I mean, you look at the number of time that I spent with them. Um, you know, I, so those are my top three, obviously. But, uh, yeah, to say that I am all for one is probably a little difficult. But, again, you know, I'm on the phone with you, and I'm talking to a bunch of Royals fans. So I guess <laughs> I better say the Royals. There you go. Well, <laughs> in summary, before you go, thanks for all your time, by the way. Anything else you'd like to say to Royals fans out there? You know what, like we said, man, I'm just uh, extremely proud to be able to wear the Royals uh, uniform for the time that I did. 
Um, to be able to tell people that I did play in the major leagues with the Kansas City Royals, it's always a proud moment for me. Um, I look forward to coming back and showing my sons, you know, where I played, and um, and hopefully they can be, uh, um, you know, they'll they'll have a great experience with that come the summer. Uh, there's some great friends and a lot of memories that I had. Like I said, uh, part of me feels like it wasn't that long ago, and part of me feels like it was a lifetime ago. But uh, I appreciate your time and and you wanting to hear my story, and uh, hopefully everybody listening uh, enjoys the story as well.